Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so glad you tuned in because I have a treat for you today. Our guest today is Ben LeCompte, and he is a marathon swimmer, and he has gone where... I'm going to just throw this out there. None of us have gone before. We've all heard about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, but he swam through it. And he's going to talk to us about what he saw, what he learned. And his story is amazing. And I'm just so excited to welcome him to Go Green Radio. Thanks for coming on, Ben. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you very much uh, for having me. And thank you for this great uh, introduction. I hope I'm going to... uh match uh, the expectation there oh you will we've talked before and i already know what to expect so you are amazing (laughs) so you know we'll get to what you did you know in the pacific ocean but your story goes back a ways in 1998 you actually swam across the atlantic and so i'd love for you to talk to us about you know what you were doing at that time what was the purpose and the mission for that swim um talk to us about that experience yes so i was very fortunate to have parents that uh, will let us do whatever we wanted to do in terms of activities and they really expose us to other culture uh, send us to different countries on vacation and different type of sport and and that helped me really find what I really love to do and what I really love to do is to be out in the open ocean and swim um, and I had I was very inspired by other people who have done amazing things in the uh, in the ocean. Uh, one of them was Loic Perron. He crossed mm-hmm. the uh, Atlantic with a windsurf. Another was Gérard Daboville. He rode across the Atlantic in a very small rowboat and then after did the Pacific. And when I was seeing all those people, that kind of gave me a, a little... <laughs> a little idea of what I wanted to do, a, a, an adventure like that. But, you know, unfortunately, my father passed away at the early age. He was 49 uh, from mm-hmm. cancer. And uh, when that happened, I think that really gave me the push I needed to realize that I needed to do something uh, that I really like to do and not just have an idea that you never pursue because life is too short. You never know what could happen. So when I came with the idea of crossing the uh, Atlantic Ocean was with the purpose in mind of honoring my father and raising awareness and fund for cancer research. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, that's a long way to swim. You've got a lot of time to think and a lot of things to observe. What did you learn, you know, about yourself and about the ocean during that swim? Yeah, everything was totally new because before I had never been isolated like that for so many uh, days. It took me 73 days and I sailed a little bit before, but I always was able to see the coast. Uh, I was always in contact with uh, people, but so it was a big, big learning curve for me to adapt to those very hostile and harsh environment when you're in the middle of the ocean. You know, you're on a boat, everything rocks, and uh, uh, you 
don't get as comfortable as at home. We have a, a boat it was about uh, 40 foot long, so it wasn't a big uh, sailboat either. So you really have to adapt to the situation. And for me, when I started it, I kind of fought against all that. I didn't embrace it. I really, um, I was in pain the whole time, and I was focusing on the wrong thing. I was focusing on the end. I was focusing on me finishing and how many more miles I had to cover. So I had a very different, uh, difficult mindset to to uh, to enjoy what I was doing. That helped me in the future after to find the right type of mindset and to work on that. So what I learned throughout the uh, my first big uh, expedition was what I needed to do is to enjoy each minute at the time and focus on the moment and focus on what I wanted to get out of the experience and what I was leaving because each minute that I was spending in the ocean was very unique. Uh, it's something that I had worked for a long time to get there, so I needed to find a way to enjoy it and not try to think about you know, the, the, the goal. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I think that's something that kind of is something we can all <laughs> try to strive for is living in the moment and um, enjoying what we can in, in, the, in the very moment that we're in. I, I love that. Now, there were 20 years between that swim in the Atlantic and your 2018 Pacific swim. What were you working on during those years? Well, believe it or not, the idea of swimming across the Pacific Ocean came uh, two or three months after finishing the Atlantic. My, my first word out of the water when I finished the Atlantic was never again. You know, I had been in pain for too long. I was never again. And then within a couple of months, the idea of going back to a, another expedition like that was uh, uh, coming in my mind. And I was really wanted to, to uh, pursue that. But I, I got married and mm. then uh, my daughter came along. So I realized that it wasn't the right time for me to do it. And I put uh, that idea on the shelf. For, uh, yeah, for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Then after having a daughter, I had a son, and uh, you know, I waited a little bit uh, before pursuing the, uh, the Pacific uh, expedition. Uh, mm-hmm. But I knew that I didn't want to live with any regrets, uh, that I was going to go back and do it no matter what. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be uh, <laughs> that late. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very a different uh, physical challenge, you know, as as we, we go through life, that becomes more difficult. And yet, um, you did decide to go forward with the Pacific Swim. How did the purpose and mission for that swim differ from the one that you had for your Atlantic Swim? Yeah, it was totally different. And uh, I realized also that when I do those uh, swim and those expedition. What becomes more important to me is the purpose behind it, rather than just Mm -hmm. the uh, personal pleasure that I get from it. If I don't have a greater purpose, then there is something missing. So uh, when I was thinking about the Pacific and swimming in the Pacific, uh, I was spending, of course, a lot of time in the water with my kids and a different Mm -hmm. uh, uh, part of the world. But every time we were on the beach, 
we were finding uh, plastic. And I tried to remember when I was spending time as a, a little kid back in France, how it was. And I never remember, and I don't remember finding any piece of plastic on the beach. So I said, wow, within less than a generation, something is happening right there that no matter where you are in the world, you can see the impact of uh, a human on the ocean and the impact on the the sea life. So that made me realize that since I wanted to go and to do that expedition, that was a perfect platform to bring the attention to the problem that was just exploding in front of our eyes. Right. And and in the ramp up, I know there's there are a lot of people involved in the Pacific expedition. You know, you need partners and things like that. But I found it really interesting um, how you worked with scientists who wanted to help uh, gather data. They wanted you to help them with that. And and. I'm curious, as you were working with those scientists in the ramp up for that 2018 swim, what did you learn about the magnitude of the problem of plastic in the ocean by working with those folks? Yeah, and that was very important for me to have scientists working uh, on that expedition with us because I didn't want to be pursued as a person, just a tree hugger and a person who scream and cries about uh, the pollution and the plastic problem. I wanted to be able to rely on fact. I wanted to rely on protocol that we could uh, follow. And then after the data that we collected can be compared to other expedition and other data collected. That was very important. And uh, so for me, when I started working on that with uh, other scientists, you realize that the plastic is a problem, but it creates so many other problems that I didn't know about. You know, so some of mm-hmm. them are, of course, uh, toxicity in the water. Uh, the, the the issue that plastic, uh, you will have a lot of sea life that is going to live on the plastic and that is going to develop on the plastic and eat the plastic. So they ingest that, that creates some issue for them as well. The plastic and bigger pieces become kind of a house for some type of uh, sea life that is going to be carried into a new ecosystem. So they become invasive species. And then you have microfibers that are very, very small. You cannot see it at the uh, uh, just at the eyes like that. You need the microscope. They're about uh, one-fifth of the diameter of a human hair, and microfibers are found everywhere. Uh, It's a a big problem. We don't uh, hear too much about it because we cannot see it, so we had to do also filtration of water, but it's a big issue with uh, plastic in general. So you have so many problems that are there and created by the plastic uh, that is you, know, you cannot say, okay, we remove the plastic and problem solved because that's not a problem. That's not a solution either. You you cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Because it keeps coming. We haven't stopped the the supply and, and where that's coming from upstream, um, and 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 that's that's one of the hardest parts. And we will talk about that. You know, when I saw you um, speak at a conference earlier, which again we'll we'll get into. You know, there are a lot of people that are 
excited when they see somebody talk about, oh, I've got this cleanup technology. And that is great. I mean, there's no question that if we can clean some of the, you know, the ocean that's already so polluted, that's a good thing. And yet, if we don't stave off the endless supply of plastic that's coming into the ocean, then, you know, we will be perpetually in this cycle of, of cleaning it up. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about, about that. No, I totally agree with you. Before trying to clean up uh, the environment and the ocean, we need to clean up our act because the problem <laughs> is the behavior that we have, right? We, uh, and uh, don't get me wrong, wrong, plastic is a great thing. You know, it has advanced uh, humanity in so many ways and help us in so many ways. But us as human we don't know how to deal with it. We are not right. well educated on how to deal with it and to especially once it becomes an obsolete product, what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. And uh, we go for the easy things, you know, oh, I need a plastic bag to carry that. Then we take a plastic bag and not worrying about the after effect of that plastic bag. Where, where will it go? What will be done to that plastic bag, what type right. of issue it's going to create. Oh, that's uh, so true. That's so true, Ben. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more. We're going to talk about Ben, talk with Ben about his Pacific Garbage Patch Swim. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could 
tune in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Ben LeCompte, and he is a marathon swimmer who has made it through the Pacific garbage patch. And we're going to talk about his swim um, through the Pacific Ocean uh, uh, and all of the things that he discovered. I want you guys to check out his website. It's really, really beautiful and fun to look at. There's so much there. And so you can open up a new tab in your web browser if you're listening to us on voiceamerica.com variety channel. Open up a new tab in your web browser and go to benlecomte.com. That's B-E-N. L-E-C-O-M-T-E dot com. And you can check that out and, and look at that while we talk. Um, so, you know, I, I'd love for you to talk about some of the items, uh, some of the discarded man-made items that you found during your swim. And, and again, this is why I wanted people to get on your website, because seeing the pictures of it, of what you found is just unbelievable. So talk to us about some of the things you found in your swim. Yeah, that's, you know, you realize that when you can identify the uh, piece of plastic you, we, we found in the ocean, that it is something that we have used uh, one time or uh, twice or uh, on a regular basis in our daily life. It's not a product that comes out of the industry. I mean, you have some, like the pebble and uh, smaller pieces of uh, plastic, but you find, of course, the bubbles. You find a lot of uh, caps, uh, bubble caps, because they're made of uh, uh, much stronger plastic, so they're uh, much more difficult to disintegrate. Uh, but we found toothbrush, uh, <laughs> razor, uh, toilet seat, uh, some crazy items like that, uh, construction cone, hard hats, uh, yeah, m- many items like that. And then <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I want to have to make an impact for image with those items. So I was thinking about how can we do something different that we get, because the, 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 what was important for us is to grab the attention and to get the attention, to get people involved into what we were doing in a funny way so that they understand mm-hmm. that they, there is a problem. So I, you know, I'm a little crazy. We know all that by, by now. So what I did, I decided to take a few items and then go in the water and take a picture naked under the water <laughs> with those, those, those items. And I have a series of pictures that I call Ben's Junk, and that are with a, you know the toilet seat, the toothbrush, the razor, the uh, uh, and different things. But that's funny because when I went back to Instagram and looked at the picture that got the most like, there are those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and and not surprisingly, you know, I mean that d- does grab your attention. I thought I've seen the one with the the toilet seat, and it's just hilarious and then you have one with the uh, laundry baskets it looks like you made made your own oyster those are hysterical and so you know if you guys want to see these photos if you follow Ben on Instagram you can you can find all of these Um, and they and they really do they're funny but it really does make you think about good grief the plastic that we're talking about is not just water bottle caps, which is what we see so often. You know, we see a lot of plastic water bottles and water bottle caps. I mean, these are sizable items that I was shocked to see what you found. 
Um, and I also, I've heard you tell a little bit of a story before about um, what you observed about how the pollution impacted marine life. And I'd love for you to spend some time talking to us and telling some stories about how the animals are so affected by these man-made materials in the ocean. Yes, and in many instances, uh, we found that over and over and over. So, of course, in the big net, those ghost nets, we found fish that were stuck in the in the, those nets underwater, dead or alive. So, the little fish that were still alive, we tried to uh, release them. A um, lot of the time also, that was very funny because you realize that most of the sea life around when you're in the open ocean, they are very curious. So I had albatross just landing next to me and I was able to give them a little fist bump and they came with their beak and, and, and bump against my, my fist. And what we noticed very often when we had albatross around us that uh, they were going for the plastic that is floating around. So if you had a piece of plastic that was red or, you know, that, uh, uh, that can be noticed, they were going after it. So albatross riding. One of mm-hmm. the protocols that we had also was to open the gut of fish whenever we, we caught a fish. And in the gut of one of the, uh, the fish, our catch, we uh, found plastic, uh, a sizable piece of uh, plastic inside. So you know that they are mm-hmm. interacting with the plastic, they are eating the plastic. And even when we did our other protocol to capture uh, micro uh, plastic, we have a little net that scoops the uh, surface of the water and you collect also little organisms, like little jellyfish. And you can see that you have little pieces, like a few uh, millimeter uh, pieces of plastic that are inside the jellyfish, that are totally stuck to the uh, jellyfish. Mm. And, you know, every time it it was like that. Well, and you also told a story about, I can't remember what kind of animal it was that was inside a bottle or inside, it was living inside something. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was swimming and then whenever we found a, a piece of plastic, usually uh, I grab it, we take a picture, so we, uh, you know, look at it, we take a, a sample out of it, or we usually do something. And then I grab that a little bottle and I saw that something was inside. A fish was inside, and I tried to tilt the bottle to release the fish, but I realized that the fish was too big, big to get out of the bottle. So oh. the fish went inside the bottle, grew, and was stuck there. And it was a frogfish, and frogfish usually live near the coast, and there it was, you know, uh, I don't know, about 700 miles, nautical miles away from, from the coast. So that fish had been carried in the middle of the ocean, enter a new ecosystem uh, because of the, the plastic. So we oh. cut the bottle open, we release the fish. I don't know how the fish uh, is doing in the middle of the ocean outside of this ecosystem. Oh, man, that that is so sad. I mean, that, that story really gets me. You know, you spent, during your 2018 swim, you spent 165 days swimming in the Pacific Ocean. Besides the pollution, what other, you know, adventures did you have? Give us, give us some stories about other things that you saw and experienced. 
Yeah, well, you know, it relates a little bit to the situation that we have right now, that we are living right now. Uh, being confined <laughs> was a big yeah. thing. So we were a team, including me, of 10 on a 67-feet uh, uh, sailboat. Mm-hmm. So it's very limited in terms of uh, you know space when you are mm-hmm. 10 in a small confined space like that. So you really have to know the people you are with and you really need to select them very well in order to have uh, you know, good cohesion. Um, so that, uh, for me, it was, I would say, easy because most of the time I was swimming, so I wasn't mm-hmm. on the boat. It was much more difficult for the crew members that they have to be together all the time. For me, I had my time off, you know, eight hours a day swimming, so I was okay. And when I came back on the boat, I was eating or sleeping, so I didn't interact too much. But I know that for them, they have to adjust to to each other and to be living for that long uh, with the same people over and over. But you realize that when you have a common goal, then people are really uh, going out of their ways to reach that goal. And for us, we selected people who were very motivated about what we were doing. And then after, you know, they put their personality kind of on, on, a, back, uh, on a back seat and uh, focusing on what they were doing to, to reach the goal. So that was very, very interesting. All the uh, crew members that we had in uh, 2018 or uh, last year, 2019, were very motivated and great guys to, and, and guys to, to be around. That's awesome. And I know that your original intent in 2018 was to swim the entire spans of the Pacific Ocean, but something happened to your boat and and ultimately that led to the expedition ending before you planned. Tell us a little bit about what happened there. Yeah. And um, let me say something about the swimming also. You have different type of swim. So in the Atlantic, I did a drift swim which means that I was swimming during the day, and when I was on the boat, the boat was drifting, and uh, I was the next day jumping in the water where the boat got. In 2018, in the Pacific, it was a stage swim, which means that uh, every morning, the, the crew member brought me back to the location, GPS location, where I stopped the day before. So mm-hmm. I was planning on swimming the entire distance. And in uh, last year, in the garbage patch, it was an accumulated distance. So because, and we will talk uh, more about that after, but we mm-hmm. went to different locations within the garbage patch. So I was swimming uh, six to eight hours a day, but at different locations. So mm-hmm. in 2018, I was trying to cross the entire Pacific and doing a, a, a stage swim. Uh, we had bad weather, you know, the typhoon season was there twice. We had to go back on land in Japan because of big typhoon that we couldn't go around. Mm. So, um, and then they, we sailed back to the point where I, I stopped swimming. And then after we got kind of late in the season, you have a window, a weather window that is, you know, smack right in the middle, in the, the summer. So for us, we're already in the, the September into October, on bad weather system passing, depression passing all the time over us. And uh, the boat <laughs> took a lot of beating. 
and mm-hmm. we broke the mainsail. We repaired it a few times. We broke again a few times, and then after we ran out of uh, big needles to stitch <laughs> the, the sail, and it totally yeah. ripped. And at that point, when you don't have a mainsail on the boat, you know, it's very difficult to navigate and it's not safe. I was yeah. the only one who wanted to keep on going uh, <laughs> and no matter what. Uh, but I know that it was a problem for the, the crew member. I didn't want to put them in, uh, in their life in jeopardy uh, mm-hmm. either. So we decided Absolutely. to uh, sail to uh, Hawaii. Yeah. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the vortex swim. We're going to talk about going through that that portion of the Pacific garbage patch. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so thrilled that you're here. I'm also thrilled that our guest is with us today, Ben LeCompte. He is quite an amazing person with quite an amazing story. And we're getting to the really juicy part that you've all been waiting for. Um, the, the swim in which he went through the Pacific garbage patch, the Vortex swim. So this happened just last year in 2019. You completed the Vortex swim. And so talk to us a little bit about how the, the route that you took and the mission of this swim was different than your 2018 swim. Yes, and uh, I did that swim because I failed 
on the previous year to uh, finish the, the swim across the Pacific because the route was in 2018 to cross the northern part of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, mm -hmm. which is very important when you do uh, data collection on plastic. You want to go in the area where it's the most concentrated uh, plastic. So mm -hmm. since I had to start the expedition in 2018, we created a new one just focused on that because everybody, uh, you know, it's talking about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and you have a lot of meat around it being a big floating island of plastic. So we wanted to go there. We wanted to get as much information, as much data as possible and as much footage and picture and share all that with, a, uh, with the public. So this time we let the, um, the scientists on land pick the route and to let us know where they wanted us to go and collect data. And it's just, we went and crisscrossed many different paths and, and different areas. It wasn't a straight line that we did mm -hmm. because within the big uh, circular uh, flow of current, you have smaller ones, eddies, and we had to go at the outskirts of the 80 and in the middle of the 80s also to get that uh, again at different points. So that we, we went, uh, you know, crisscross all over the, the garbage patch for uh, about 80 days. Wow. And, and how was that view, you know, what you saw there? It, maybe it was the same or maybe it was different. I don't know. H how did it compare to the view of the plastic pollution that you saw the year before when you were north of that area? Uh, what we saw was similar to the year before, but much more of it. Because when I left Japan, I was following the Kuroshio warm current that uh, goes to toward the U.S. And also the Koshio carries a lot of uh, particle, a lot of debris, a lot of uh, macro uh, pieces of plastic as well. So we saw a, a lot there as well, but not as much as in the, the garbage patch. Well, and one of the things that really surprised me from some of the pictures that you took, and, and this should have been something I understood, but you know, we kind of have this view because a lot of the pictures that we've seen of the Pacific Garbage Patch is that it's all floating on the top. But in fact, you show that it goes down <laughs> quite far and you were literally immersed in plastic. It's not all up at the surface. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's why it was very important for me to spend as much time as possible in the water. Because if you are on the boat, you just see exactly what you have at the surface. You don't see under, and uh, you don't have the right uh, idea and uh, you, the right composition of what is happening in the water. So very often, we were cruising, and I had to stop the boat and say, here, we need to get some data right here. We need to collect some plastic around here because there is a lot of plastic and different type of plastic. 
And I was there, their eyes uh, many times to uh, guide them into where we needed to, uh, to collect data and, and how. Because that's what happened. Especially if you have uh, tumultuous waters and waves at the surface, everything will be pushed down and you don't see much. If you mm-hmm. have very flat ocean, then you will be able to see much more plastic floating and depending on the area and the eddies that you have, uh, you are crossing, you will see a accumulation of microplastic, uh, little vein happening at areas that you can detect on the surface of the water. But mm-hmm. the real story, it's below the surface. And for me, it was almost as if I was in a storm, a snowstorm at night. You know, you see flakes everywhere uh, in the sky. For me, mm-hmm. I saw flakes, I saw microplastic everywhere down below me and around me. That is incredible. You know, I remember one of the stories you told when you were speaking at the uh, California Resource Recovery Association's uh, annual conference a few weeks ago about how you found some gear that looked like it came from a fishing vessel and it wasn't like it was like oops it just fell over the side there was evidence that it had been purposefully just tossed overboard and it was tied up neatly talk to us about that you know that realization that things aren't just like oops ending up there but uh you know that they're really actually purposefully being thrown into the ocean yeah, that's a very good point. So every time we were finding a big ghost net, we took data, we took sample, we took picture of a specimen living on it. We also, in some ways, uh, uh, some occasion, attach a GPS tracking system so that a uh, bigger boat later on can come and re- recover the uh, ghost net. But you realize that all of those big nets they are tied together and you have different type of net that are knitted together and you have ropes also around them and ropes that there is no way the waves are going to put them together and to tie nice knots around them so that they are all uh, very close and, and, and tidy together. So you know that at those uh, big net has been put together on the on the on a vessel and then tossed overboard because well it's easier to do that than to discard of the uh, old net and ropes on land. So unfortunately, all the big ones that we found were like that. We saw a few times a little pieces of net all by themselves, but it's very small piece, like a few feet across, and they just float around. But all the big nets, they are an accumulation of nets and rope that are, have been put by, uh, by people together. Mm, that's, oh, that's so sad. And these are the people that are out on the ocean. I mean, you would hope they would know better and do better. But um, that's, you know, that's part of the advocacy work that you're doing now. And I want you to talk to us about your mission since the Vortex Swim. What are you trying to accomplish by speaking out and, and showing people what you saw uh, while you were swimming in the ocean all of those days? Yeah, so I was very fortunate to be in direct contact with uh, that environment and uh, the plastic and the effect that it has on sea life. 
so that I realized that for me, it's easy to uh, understand of the, the problem and the magnitude of the problem and to act upon it. But for people who don't know, for people who don't, are not educated about it, it's very difficult to make changes uh, in our daily life and to say, oh, I'm not going to use a plastic bag because uh, they, they, it's hard to recycle them. And uh, then after, uh, if I let it go, uh, they are going to end up in the, uh, the dumps and then the dump uh, because of uh, water runoff. It might end up in the ocean. Everything ends up in the ocean anyway. So... It is very important for me not to point fingers at industries or people doing the wrong thing. It's just to, uh, to show what we have seen to educate people about the problem. And then after, it's uh, up to each one of us to change a little our behavior so we limit the amount of trash that is uh, going into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, I know that um, you also have a book out now. I saw that on Amazon. It's in French. And even though I took French in high school and college, I have to say I'm pretty <laughs> rusty. But I'd love to give you a chance to talk about the book and ask, you know, with fingers crossed, will it be translated into other languages? Well, so it was a French publisher that uh, we talked to about the uh, project of uh, writing a book and doing a book. So, yeah, it is in in French for that reason. But they told me that uh, they uh, connect after with different markets to sell the right to other markets and to be translated to other markets. And they do that during big convention, book, book convention and all that. But... Unfortunately, because of uh, COVID, those mm-hmm. conventions have not happened. So mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what is the process uh, for them to have other market interested in the in the book. Uh, but right now, yeah, it's uh, it's only um, it's only in French. And I have to uh, point out that we had amazing photographer and videographer. Those images are amazing because those videographer and photographer are also uh, free divers. So they were able to go and hold their breath for a long time going underwater and take those amazing pictures. You know, it might be worth, you know, even if you can't read French, just to see those photographs, because some of the ones that you can see even on your website, benlecomp.com, they're just breathtaking. I mean, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And for people who are really interested in understanding, you know, what is going on with plastic pollution in the ocean, I consider it the definitive source. This is amazing. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have much more. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in and so happy that we have our guest today, Ben LeCamp, a marathon swimmer who has swam the Atlantic. Uh, He's done huge, long swims, uh, one 165 days, one 80 days in the Pacific Ocean. And he has collected, with the help of some amazing videographers and photographers, some of the most compelling pictures I've ever seen about the problem of plastic pollution in our oceans, how it's impacting marine life, um, and and just by virtue of seeing what he found and what he swam through, it starts to beg the question, you know, how do we keep those kinds of items like toilet seats and hard hats and traffic cones out of the ocean? And so, you know, Ben, I'd I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about some of the advocacy work that you're doing and maybe how people can get involved in that. Yeah, so for me, you know, I am a father first. So I realized that a plastic might not affect me as a person right now, but it will do big harm for the next generation, for my kids and the one after. And so everything that I am doing, I'm following my passion about the ocean and loving that environment to try to uh, get people um, involve or get people understand of the magnitude of the problem. So what I would say is that the best thing to do is to not think about what, how it is right now, how we live right now, but to try to imagine how it will be for our kids if we don't change our behavior right now. And we don't have to be you know, perfect, but we all have to do something. And we don't have to join a, a non-profit. We don't have to join uh, a big movement. But we have individually, we have to take responsibility and to try to make some changes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and speaking of changes, give us an idea of some of the top things, maybe two or three things that the average person can do to protect the ocean, even if they don't live near the coast. Give us some ideas. Give us a, a to-do list. Yeah, it's very important. It, it's not because you are not living near the coast that you are not going to affect it because you will. Everything that uh, happened on land is going to uh, uh, be found in the middle of the ocean anyway. So there are very simple things to do, you know. Uh, when we talk about uh, single-use plastic, why do we use single-use plastic it's not sustainable. Uh, it's not, uh, most of them are not uh, recyclable anyway. So why don't we think about the effect that it will have on the environment when we go to the grocery store 
and use those plastic bags. It's very easy just to take our own bag and to use that. The same with a straw. Why do we have to use a straw? You even have replacement and paper straws now or biodegradable straws, so we can do that. But before being able to do that, we have to be educated and we have to consciously decide that we are going to make a change. That's sometimes it's the most difficult thing. It is. And, and honestly, you know, I've done a lot of work in the municipal solid waste world. I've worked with, you know, people who are professionals in the recycling and recovery industry. And sometimes I get overwhelmed going to the grocery store and looking at all of the things that I know will end up in the landfill after maybe 20 seconds of use. <laughs> and it and it's just so um, overwhelming to know that that's the the impact. I feel like I'm looking at a pre-landfill, you know, two or three weeks from now when I go into the grocery store sometimes. And so, um, you know, I know a lot of people are working really hard on this issue of single-use plastics. Um, Talk to us a little bit about how swimming through all of that pollution in the ocean affected you as a person, both emotionally and physically, because, you know, you're, you're a human being and that had to have taken a toll. And I'd really like to know more about that. Yeah. So on the physical aspect, I was followed by doctors, uh, you know, and since I am using a snorkel, I never inhale any water. So there is no physical uh, danger for me to swim through that, and uh, I'm perfect, except, except I'm a little bit on the crazy side to start with, but that <laughs> didn't change. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the emotional um, side, um, you, it's very strange, because whenever you find a big piece of plastic, that's what we were uh, there for, or a very high concentration of plastic, you get excited because, oh, here, here it is. We can take pictures. We can uh, videotape it. We can get samples. That's where, that's why we are here. But then you realize that, but why do we have so much of it here in the ocean, so far away from the coast? And then days in and days out, you see it over and over. And then after you become numb, become totally numb. Uh, It was just regular routine, you know? And, uh, uh, yeah, and even when I was swimming and fish were coming toward me, I knew that uh, it's because there was a big piece of uh, trash plastic or uh, ghost net somewhere. So I just followed them back where they were going, and sure enough, it was because uh, there is a, an accumulation of uh, plastic. Um, wow. So that's, uh, you know, that, yeah, it, it, took, uh, it took me away. You know, there are a lot of people and many of our listeners who, who really do love the ocean. They they want to speak out on issues like protecting the ocean, but they don't feel like they have the necessary skills or the knowledge. Talk to us about how you took your swimming skills and passion for the ocean and learned how to become an effective speaker and activist. Yeah, I think we don't have to do and to swim in an ocean across the ocean to to bring bring attention to the uh, situation. I think uh, we need to focus on what we love to do 
and use that as a platform to bring attention if we uh, if we decide to. So I will uh, uh, advise people to just, uh, if I can have that advice, to just try to find something that they very very lo- they, they love to do in regards to the ocean, and to use that as a kind of a platform to develop their advocacy around what they love to do and how they connect with the ocean. Because I think the big problem that we have is for some people, they don't feel connected to the ocean. So if you don't feel connected to it, you're not going to take care and they're not going to bother about it. So finding a way to connect people and to let them know, yeah, you are connected to it. Therefore, you need to protect it. That's, uh, we can all do something in that respect. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And I know, you know, when, when we were together uh, talking ab- about this issue of education at the California Resource Recovery Association uh, convention, you gave a lunchtime talk to people who are involved in K through 12 schools. And, you know, there some of our listeners fall into that category as well. What are some of the things that you've seen, some of the activities that you can imagine that would help us um, teach children about their connection to the ocean? I think children have much more power. Yeah, children have much more power than adults and parents. Because I remember then uh, a while back when we were talking about uh, turning the tap off when you brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. It was most of it with the children who <laughs> came back home and said, hey, Daddy, Mommy, you need to turn off. So I mm-hmm. think kids are the one, and we saw that in different uh, movements right now and different initiatives, that uh, the youth is very powerful into uh, getting together and uh, making a difference. So I think the kids will help us solve that problem because they are the ones who uh, are fresh and they don't have that routine of doing the same thing over and over in a bad way. And uh, they will teach us more than probably we can teach them in that respect. (laughs) Well said. And isn't that true? I mean, everybody who has children at home has probably been chastised by them at one point or another over something that they learned was important, you know, at school, something that was recyclable or, like you said, turning off the tap while brushing teeth. And um, they they make such great teachers when it comes to that. Ben, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Go Green Radio. Your story is amazing. And listeners, you can check it out at Ben LeCompte. That's B-E-N-L-E-C-O-M-T-E dot com. Every Everybody, I want you to just have a wonderful week. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.